prophets of the Messiah. Before we do that, I've uh, just got a little Christmas trivia for you. See if you're ready for Christmas or not. Um, what do you call a kid who doesn't believe in Santa? You know, that's tough. If you got a kid and he doesn't believe in Santa, what do you call him? He's a rebel without a clause. Right? Huh? Uh, you know how much Santa paid for his sleigh? Have you ever thought about that? He didn't pay anything because it was on the house. The sleigh was on the house. Uh, Okay, let me give you a couple more. Maybe they'll get better. Or maybe they'll get worse. I don't know. What do you call an elf wearing earmuffs? You can call him anything you want because he can't hear you. And I'm sure many of you have heard this, but what did Adam say to his wife on Christmas? It's finally Christmas, Eve. It's been fun the last four weeks of Advent, and this is the fourth week of Advent. We're going to light, uh, virtually light, the fourth Advent candle. Of course, the Advent candles represent hope and peace and joy and love. We've done something a little different this Advent season. We have revisited the Christmas story by focusing on these Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah, available to, available to both Jews and Gentiles. Uh, hundreds of years before his coming. And the prophecies have revealed some really uh, interesting things. We talked about the person of the Messiah, who he will be. We visited the practice of the Messiah. What exactly will he do? Last week, we visited the passion of the Messiah. How will he help us? This is the reason for the season, that Jesus came to give his life, to go to the cross, that we might have forgiveness of our sin, that we might enjoy the abundant life that Jesus has for each of us. So we talked about the passion of the Messiah. Today we're going to finish our Advent series by talking about the purpose of the Messiah, and more specifically, why did he come to earth? Why did God come wrapped in flesh? born in a manger, named Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Why did he come? And the truth is there's probably many reasons that he came down to earth, but I want to focus this morning on six specific purposes that I have found in the Scripture. Each purpose relates to this desperate need of humankind. We need a Savior. We are lost without Jesus. Not just lost for eternity. We are lost without Jesus. So each of these purposes actually meets a need that I have in my life, you have in your need, your life. So it requires a response. So I hope as we work our way through these six purposes, you will take time to respond in your own way to the truth of the Scripture. The first thing I want to point out is... The Messiah came to represent. Now, all these start with R. And the first one, he came to represent the Father to us. You see, it's really difficult for us to understand who God is. 
God is a mystery to us. In fact, the Bible says that we will never fully understand it because he thinks on a different plane. He deals with us on a different level than we are accustomed to. See, since the eternal Son of God really didn't come into existence as a baby, we studied that a few weeks ago, Jesus has always been, because he is God, so he's been since the beginning of time, we don't have really a birth narrative for Jesus as part of the Godhead. And John understood that. And in John's gospel, he begins to uh, give us some insight. He begins to try to help us understand the divine, eternal nature of Jesus Christ. John goes all the way back to the beginning. This is a really rich portion of Scripture. John chapter 1 beginning with verse 1, and we're going to read 18 verses. And you'll see right away that John lays out some very foundational facts about Jesus. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and please notice a capital W. It's not talking about the Bible. Capital W talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist he's referring to. Verse 7 says that he came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him, meaning the light, Jesus, all might believe. John himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light, the Messiah, Jesus, gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those he, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Praise the Lord. That's why we can sing with confidence that we are children of God. In our worship set today, we declared who we were in Jesus because the Bible says if we believe in the name of Jesus, he gives us the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born by the Spirit of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, Jesus, 
who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him, God, known to us. Man, there is so much in these 18 verses. Tells us Jesus has already always existed. Tells us that Jesus has enjoyed from the beginning this close relationship with the Father. It tells us that Jesus possesses all the attributes of God himself. As we've discovered, he is fully God, even though he came and he was fully man. He's the only source of life and light. In fact, it even tells us, doesn't it, that Jesus was the creator of the world. And those of us that respond with faith, not with work, not with performance, not with church membership. Now, all we have to do is exercise faith in Jesus Christ, and we have the right to be called sons of the Most High. Man, this is good stuff. It says God himself took on human flesh and became known to us as Jesus. And he manifested all the glory of the Father, both grace and truth. They both come through Jesus. And then it says in verse 18 that he actually came to help us know who the Father is. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Jesus came to represent God to us. We don't understand God. We don't understand his true nature. But Jesus helps us to understand who God is. Jesus came to fully represent the Father's nature to us. Now, the word represent, what does that mean? It means to explain. It means to expound or to introduce, or another word would be to reveal. Man, Jesus knows the Father intimately. They've coexisted from eternity. The Bible says no man has ever seen God. Now, they've seen manifestations of God, but they've never seen God. So the person closest to God is Jesus, and Jesus came so that we might fully understand the nature of God. He came to explain the Father in such a way that would otherwise not be possible. Because otherwise, I mean, how does the infinite, almighty God relate to a finite human like me? How does the unlimited in God become comprehensible to you and I who are so limited? So God said, I'll send my son Jesus to bring enlightenment concerning the Father's nature. Enlightenment through the teachings of Jesus and also by the lifestyle of Jesus. And man, the scripture is abundantly clear on how much Jesus resembled his Father. <laughs> In fact, Colossians says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, take a look at Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through prophets at many times and in various ways. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Now listen to this. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. If you want to know God, take a look at Jesus. Jesus came representing God. Jesus came to explain God the Father to us in terms that we could understand. And when you look at Jesus, you see God. Philip one time asked the Lord in John chapter 14 to show them the Father. He said, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus looked at Philip and he said, don't you know me, Philip? Don't you understand, even though I've been around you for such a long time? And Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So I'm talking about red-letter stuff here. Jesus himself would say amen to this first point, that he came to represent the Father. In Jesus, we see the Father's love, the Father's compassion, the Father's mercy and grace and faithfulness, as well as the Father's power and wisdom and life. So we need to respond to that. We need to respond by getting to know Jesus. If you want to know who your creator is, if you want to know more about God, if you want to know about the creator of the universe, get to know Jesus, because through Jesus, you'll get to know God. The second purpose that the Messiah came was to reveal. And what he revealed was truth. He came to represent God, and he came to reveal the truth. I mean, man, we are completely ignorant when it comes to eternal reality. We're unable to really discern some of the basic questions of life. In fact, Romans chapter 1 says, even though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks. They became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Where is truth to be found? It's found in the person of Jesus. Remember when Jesus was about ready to go to the cross and Pilate was questioning him and he said, so you are a king? And Jesus said, yes, Pilate, you are correct. I am a king. This is recorded in John chapter 18. For this I have been born, Jesus declares, I have come into this world to testify to the truth. Jesus came to reveal truth to us. And then he says, everyone who is of the truth will hear my voice. Whose voice are we listening to? How do we define truth? Jesus came to testify to truth. Now we know testify means to bear witness. It means to report or to, to give evidence to. To testify is to give evidence to. And so Pilate asked this question that we're all familiar with, what is truth? And that's a question you and I need to grapple with today because we've got people all around us in our society, in our culture, 
in the entertainment field, in the, in the government field, in, in the church field, saying this is truth. Our heart wants to define truth in a certain manner. But we've got to realize that Jesus came to reveal truth. So the answer to the question in today's culture, even though it's, it's increasingly disturbing, because we understand that our society, they just do not recognize a standard of truth. They don't recognize right or wrong. They don't recognize morality and immorality. They just allow everyone to define truth the way that they want to define truth. Everything is relative to the culture, to the feeling. But friends, that is a lie from the enemy. There is truth. And Jesus has come to testify to that truth, to reveal that truth. Now, most philosophers will agree to the definition of truth is that it corresponds to reality. But the disagreement is how do you identify reality? That's why God's given us the word. This is our reality. No matter what we are told, no matter how we feel, we go back to the Word of God and we realize that Jesus will reveal truth. He came to reveal, He came to identify what is real. If you want to know what truth is, get to know Jesus. He claimed to be that reality. He said, I am the truth. He didn't just teach the truth. He didn't just live the truth. Jesus himself is truth. And that's why we can look to him to have some of our basic questions answered. Like, who am I? <laughs> Where did I come from? Where am I going? Why do I feel so empty? Why do I feel so lost? How do I decide between option A and option B? Where's real life found? Man, Jesus has come to reveal that truth to us. And the Bible goes on to say that that truth gives us light. In fact, Jesus is known as the light of the world. Didn't we read about that in verses 9 and 10? He's the true light that enlightens every man. We read that in Acts chapter 26 when Jesus is having his dialogue with King Agrippa. And he said, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Remember what our text said? The law was given by Moses. But grace and truth are revealed through Jesus Christ. Life only makes sense when interpreted in light of the words and the life of Jesus Christ. He's the center of all things. So we need to respond. Some of us think we know what truth is, but perhaps we really don't. We need to ask Jesus to reveal to us what truth is. We need to open up our spiritual ears to listen to him and then to structure our life around his teaching. On January 12th, we're going to not just encourage you, but exhort you to join us in 21 days of prayer from January 12th through the end of January, spending time in prayer every day 
not for some material results, but simply to know Jesus in a more intimate way, to know that he's truth, to make him the center of our lives as we go into this new year. He came to represent. He came to reveal. The third R is he came to redeem. He's he's a redeemer. He bought us back. We were captive to sin, captive to selfishness, captive to darkness. Jesus came to redeem us, to to buy us back. We were dead in trespasses. We were lost without hope. And Jesus came to save us. Mark makes that so clear. He says, here he is, the Son of God, all deity. But he didn't come to be served by people. He came to serve people. And, Mark 10, 45, check it out, and to give his life as a ransom. Point number three, Jesus came to redeem us. In him, there is no sin. He lived a sinless life. First Timothy says, here's a trustworthy saying, and one that sometimes is so familiar to us, we forget about it. But the saying is, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He was born to die. Luke chapter 19 says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He's always pursuing those who are lost. That's the difference between every other religion and Christianity. All the other religions is about man trying to find their way to God. Christianity is all about God pursuing us, God wanting a relationship with us. God came to rescue and redeem us. He came into the world to save sinners. We know that sin has separated us from God, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of eternal life is ours through faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed. There's the R word, redeemed from the empty way of life. But it was with the precious blood of Jesus. We sing the song, We Have a Savior. But I want to ask you, Do you have a Savior? Have you responded to this purpose of Jesus coming to earth to redeem you by accepting that free gift of salvation? Man, there's no other means of salvation. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. Receive him today. Number four, he came to reconcile man to God. See, it's a wonderful thing that he came to redeem us. But he didn't redeem us without a purpose. He redeemed us so we can be reconciled with our creator, reconciled with God. Isaiah, in his prophecy recorded in the 59th chapter, wrote that our sins form this barrier. Our sins form this gap between us and God. But God sent Jesus as a bridge, to bridge the gap, to what we would call reconcile. Having dealt with the issues of offenses against the Father, Jesus alone is able, and he's anxious. He wants to restore our relationship with God the Father. Man, that is just such a, a wonderful thought. 
our iniquities, our sins, our selfishness, our definition of truth. All that stuff has made the separation between us and God. And our sins have hidden his face from us. And there was no way, absolute holiness on God's part, <laughs> could not establish fellowship with absolute sinfulness on our part. You can't mix holiness and sin. And the fault wasn't on God's side of the equation. He's always been holy. It was our fault. It was our sins that separated us from God. We're the ones that walked away. We're the ones that violated that trust, that relationship. Yet God took that initiative because he loved us so much to bring reconciliation by redeeming us through Jesus Christ. And he did it in a way that did not compromise his holiness. And then he imputed, which means he gave to us the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Man, that is so awesome. It's not just that my sins are forgiven. I am now righteous in the sight of God because of Jesus. He gave us the righteousness that was necessary for me and for you to have full fellowship with God. Ephesians chapter 2 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. <laughs> Friends, God is not mad at you. God is for you. Christ came to heal that broken relationship between you and God. That's the core of our message to the world. Believe it today. Accept it. Enjoy it. Be reconciled with the Father. The fifth R is that Jesus came to restore life. Restore, restoration. Life as God intended for his creatures took a real drastic turn at the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve decided to disobey God. God said, the day you eat this fruit, you shall die spiritually. And Romans tells us that because of that one sin that's recorded in Genesis, death has been passed on to all men. But it wasn't just Adam's sin, it was your sin and my sin. And because of that, we would never know life the way that God intended us to. Yet because of the righteousness of the baby Jesus who went to the cross, who didn't allow death to conquer him, but three days later, through the power of God, rose from the dead. Because of that, life's available to all of us. He restores life to us. John 10, 10 says that Satan has come to steal from us, to harm us, to deceive us, to destroy us, to ultimately kill us. But Jesus has come that we might have life and have it to the full. That is restoration. Ephesians talks about how we're dead in our transgressions. But because of God's great love, God who is rich in mercy has made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Now we need to die to our old life and allow Jesus to live through us. 
a great scripture, Galatians 2.20. It's really the foundational scripture for the exchange life class that David teaches. What a great small group. About not trying to make yourself better. This thing about Christianity is not self-improvement. It's really about dying to your old ways and letting Jesus live through you. That's how life's restored. And that's what Galatians 2.20 says. I've been crucified with Christ and no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me. We need to receive that life. We need to die to our own reality of truth. We need to die to our own sins. We need to die to our own selfishness. We need to let Jesus come, redeem us, reconcile us, and restore us and live through us. Finally, the last R, and this might surprise you, but Jesus actually came to ruin, R-U-I-N, ruin. Not to ruin you, not to ruin the world, but to, rule, uh, to ruin the work of Satan in our life. He came to ruin Satan's works. I mean, ever since Adam forfeited his God-given rule over creation, back in the Garden of Eden, Satan has ruled the world. We know that. It's very clear. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The world is under the influence of Satan. Now, if you've asked Jesus into your heart, you have been born again. You're no longer of this world. You're of a spiritual kingdom. And Jesus will direct your paths. And Jesus is in control of your life. Ephesians 2 talks about that. He says, we were dead in our transformation in our trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working among sons of disobedience. But Jesus came to ruin God's plans. Or not God's plans, but Satan's plans. He came to fulfill God's plans, but ruin Satan's plans. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, he came to crush the serpent's head, the Bible says. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. But destroy doesn't start with an R, so I had to find a synonym. <laughs> I didn't want to give you five R's and one D. That just didn't work. So ruin, destroy the same principle he came to destroy or ruin the devil's works. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, Satan's powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Praise the Lord. Were it not for the coming of Jesus, you and I would still be slaves to fear. We would be driven continually by the influence of Satan. Satan would continue to hold us captive. He would have rights of ownership. He would have the major stock in our heart. He would main, contain uh, authority over us, but no more, because Jesus has given us that freedom we sang about. We have freedom now because Jesus has set us free by ruining the works of the enemy. So I encourage you, friends, Stand against that evil one.
His works have been ruined and destroyed. Claim your victory. Jesus came for six specific purposes. He came to represent the Father so that you and I would just have a better understanding of who God is. We can look at Jesus and see who God is. He also came to reveal truth to us. He knew that we're going to be bombarded with a lot of different subjective views of truth, but he came to reveal truth and therefore bring us from darkness into light. He came to redeem us. He offered us salvation because he came to rescue us. He bought us back. And he bought us back so we could be reconciled. We can walk in full, intimate fellowship with God. You can have peace today. Peace with God. You don't have to worry if you quit breathing tonight. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. You can have peace if you are reconciled to God through a personal belief, relationship, and life in Jesus. And Jesus came to restore us. What Satan had destroyed, Jesus restored. You can pass out of death into life. And finally, we can have freedom. Freedom from Satan. We're no longer captive because Jesus came to set us free. He came to ruin Satan's works. Man, this is the Christmas story. And this is a story that we need to embrace and receive for ourselves, but it's also a story we need to share with the world. We need to shout this from the mountaintop. We need to say, unto you is born this day a Savior. We have a Savior who represents, who reveals, who redeems, who reconciles, who restores, who ruins. We have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for an opportunity to look at your scriptures and to better understand the purpose of your birth as a child in a manger in Bethlehem thousands of years ago. I thank you for your divine plan. And I thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to come and represent your Father well. And today on this Christmas morning, we just want to take a moment and we want to respond to the truth of your word. We want to ponder those things that we've heard. And we want to embrace the true meaning of the Christmas season.